Weird Things is brought to you by patreon.com slash weird things. Support the show. Hello and welcome to the Weird Things podcast. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Brian Brushwood. As always, my friend. Bryce Castillo. As always, my compatriot. And Andrew Heaton. Finally. Finally, I am on Weird Things. Uh, <laughs> listeners, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip the deck here. I have been at every single shoot of Weird Things for the last two and a half years. I always sit on that couch. I've, and every time I say, can I come on the show? And they always say no. But finally, <laughs> finally, I get to be on the show. I've always been here. It's actually a better bit than, than us pretending that Justin's never been on the show. It's always been like this. Andrew always comes in doing his I've never been on the show yeah. before bit. Maybe this week. I've, I've been reading things about Bigfoot. <laughs> What's popping, Andrew? <laughs> Any updates on that? <laughs> Still at large. Still at large, but one day they'll get him. They'll get him. Yeah. Uh, so... I mean, you'd be a good person to talk about this, this Andrew. I, I talked to somebody a while ago who was pretty involved in the political space and then kind of got out of it. And why UAPs and UFOs and all that stuff is so popular. Mm -hmm. And his theory was that it's maybe the last safe thing you can talk about because it's not too red or blue. I, you know what? I totally buy that. Um, I'm going to give all the listeners one of my favorite conversation openers that I do in, in D.C., mind you, because uh, I'm in D.C. periodically, and because I'm a twit, I go to a lot of gallows and shit. Uh, am I allowed to swear? I can't remember what the rules are. We'll bleep it. Okay. Uh, and, um, like, you, you go hang out at a gala, and people, first thing they'll ask you is, like, what do you do? Well, I find that question kind of boring, and, and, and I don't want to ask other people unless... Unless they're really excited about what they do, I don't really care, right? So I just ask people, what do you think about ghosts? Um, and same kind of thing. Like, no one gets mad when you say you agree or you, you think ghosts exist or don't exist. Like, if I was like, hey, Andrew Maine, oh, what, what's your position on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? <laughs> Some people are going to get offended by whatever you say. But uh, but ghosts, though, you could just have a good... I think UFOs kind of the same I thing. It's, it's not blue or red. No, I, I can recall a specific conversation i had at the magic castle with the this uh, woman who starred in a tv show that i don't think anybody remembers on the subject of ghosts and she and her other actor for actress friend were like oh it's about ghosts i'm like are you got one of you guys children and then <laughs> I, that's, I was, that's how i'm not they were scary <laughs> yeah i was it was they're like talking about ghosts and i'm like really and then they were very hurt that i i uh you know was so UFOs, it's different. Like, ghosts, for some people, it still has, like, particularly, like, growing up in South Florida, it's a religious thing mm. for some. Yeah, whereas the U UFOs, though, I don't, plus, like, UFOs are fun. I, I know I've talked to Brian about this before, but, like, can I tell you my favorite conspiracy theory, Andrew Maine? No, we don't really have time. <laughs> okay. Fair. No, I Fair. insist. Uh, yes. Objection, Your Honor. I insist. <laughs> Of course, right. of course. So here's, this is my all-time... Okay, you, you know the conspiracy theory that the moon landing was a hoax. You've heard that before. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Yeah. Um, so here's what really happened. I'm going to tell you what really happened. We went to the moon. That really happened. Buzz Aldrin, uh, 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 Neil Armstrong, and the coward who stayed in the ship and didn't walk <laughs> oh on the moon. God. That all happened, right? But then as we were coming back, as they were coming back, they didn't realize that the radiation 
would ruin all of the film, which is what happens. So what, what happened when they got back to Earth? Fucking fake the moon landing. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. If you think we went there, you're right. If you think we faked it, you're also correct. That's what happens. My favorite conspiracy theory. I'm a uniter, not a divider. Vote Heaton. <laughs> but you know, you know, the funny thing is, is when you, you, you dig into... You dig into the conspiracy theorists, uh, the, the, the more erudite ones, so to speak, will tell you, the thinking yeah, we didn't go the first theory. time. We did go after. They'll say the ah. first one was fake, but then, because they, you're like, well, what about like all these other successive missions and stuff that went there? That, but, like, and it's, it's also, it's like, I, I've talked this about Brian and Jess before. Like, there are some casual debunkings that are like, oh, you couldn't have faked it. I'm like, I completely disagree. I've sat next to, you know, physicists and mathematicians at magic shows and watched them be completely baffled. And when somebody tells me, no, you can't fake this visually, I'm like, you know, hold my magic wand. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> hold, they're, hold they're, my invisible deck. <laughs> yeah, because it's just like there are there are ways you can do this sort of stuff. But because uh, like the one thing was like we talked about before, somebody, oh, the platters, platters weren't large enough film platters. It's like. Yeah, you know, the, the people putting up spy satellites and recovering film canisters from, you know, things orbited 22,000 miles an hour. They couldn't figure out how to solve that one. Yeah, that, uh, that was our most recent lap around this uh, journey was there's a YouTube video where a filmmaker finally cracked it and said you couldn't possibly have enough film to do it this way. And uh, 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 Andrew had a differing opinion. <laughs> Wait, do you think we faked well, it? Well, I mean, yeah, because they're like, a film platter's only this big. And I'm like... Okay, this is the 60s. This is when we're paying Howard Hughes a billion dollars to build a ship to go recover a Soviet sub. You don't think we could make a larger film platter? A, a, a so, really big plate um, that spins around? <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, 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 wait. A- Andrew we, Maine, do you think we faked it? Hell no. Of course we went. No, he's saying the opposite. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's, see, my, I, my, I just, my I, lack of faith in government competency is what roots me in this one, where I'm like, yeah, I don't think <laughs> oh, they yeah, could keep course. their goddamn mouths shut that long. I, I think well, three Russian, can keep a secret if two are dead. <laughs> the R- Russians would have loved, would have loved to have, you know, gone on about if it was faked. It would have been the, the, the you know. I don't. I, I just. But I. I also, as a trying to be a step skeptic and a cynic, I have to say, like, well, that's not actually a good case to say that this is. It's like people go, oh, people, all oh, the people think the Earth is flat. My question is like, what evidence do you have that it's round? Mm, you right. know, and often people say stuff like, "Oh, I've seen when I'm on an airplane, I see the curvature." Like, do you? You know, like, well, I, and and, and also like the, the if it was faked, the Russians would have found out. It's like so. Your theory hinges on. Russian competency. <laughs> the Russians bought it. They were just very trusting. Yeah. See, okay, so aren't we planning to go back to the moon soon? Another thing? They're going to finally have somebody walk on that? Yeah. I, I think there's really good prank opportunities for this. So what they should do, not tell anybody, and I'm going to bring it right back to the beginning of our conversation, vote Heaton, um, <laughs> <laughs> is... Whoever walks on the moon next should absolutely get those like big feet things to put at the bottom of their shoes. Oh, the springy things. No, moon no, boots. Like, 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 moon no, boots. no, 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 no. Like, like those those plaster prints that you use to fake Bigfoot feet. Oh my god! Do that on the moon. Don't tell anybody ever. Then, like a hundred years from now, some <laughs> Russian's going to be on the moon and go, "Holy f- <laughs> Bigfoot on the moon? What? <laughs> we have to rewrite all the books now. It's not bad." Yeah, I should be hired as a like a, a prank consultant at NASA. I feel like that would be a good role for me. Yeah, right behind George Clooney. Well, yeah, the, <laughs> you know I feel I have a lot in common with George Clooney, Bryce. That's a good idea. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
that we did talk about last week that they were hiring somebody to work on like UAP stuff and all that, which initially I was very dismissive of. But then I'm like, well, if it's to coordinate the stuff, like why Air Force, somebody else is doing this fine. But I just, you know, mm-hmm. he, he haven't heard me go off about that where you know, <laughs> oh, I, everybody's I, I, an expert on thermal <laughs> imaging systems now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you actually just reminded me of, of, of a, I believe, a today or yesterday or the day before news story of uh, not a UAP, but of a, uh, 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 a very unusual flying object. And a certain 911 call. Uh, did, did you read about this? Oh, <laughs> the, and they can't find it still? Oh no! I, I, I think oh, no, they found. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they found it. Oh, yeah. they found that. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the. the but, basic uh, 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 oh, real, real quick, Maine. Have, have, have you heard about this? Uh, in nope. I, I think it was South Carolina or uh, yeah, around South that Carolina. area. Uh-huh. Um, there is a 911 call of just a just a guy who lives in a small farm plot, and he's like, "Hello, um, there's a man here." <laughs> He he says that he was in a stealth <laughs> F thirty five aircraft oh, and I had to eject. It's, oh you, my, he's like, not I giving a lot of details, but Matt, I think he needs help. <laughs> oh, that's Matt, great! That was like where everybody walks into the diner, you know. Like, yes. <laughs> so so yeah, this uh, a, a, a pilot ejected out of out of his f-35 and then there was nobody in it because it was like a miss a misfire or something so they last i heard they were looking for where it could have gone because it was presumably in the air at the time of ejection that yeah that's rock solid well uh, uh there was also some chatter that that some people claimed that they saw it inverted upside down, mm. uh, which makes me wonder how, how that would work with ejection. Uh, but also, like uh, you get to I, the earth faster. <laughs> I, I I believe yeah. I read that some pe- uh, some other people were claiming that the F thirty five is so sophisticated that it doesn't even wait for you to pull the handle. It's like, oh no, you're in trouble. Get out. Uh. <laughs> like, uh, I have no idea which of this is true. See, I, and, I would- and of course the the military military is not in the business of giving away state secrets on this kind of stuff. If, if I were the, cause it, it landed on a farm, right? Oh, uh, okay. Crashed. It Wait. crashed in a farm. If I were that farmer, I would be like mine now. And I would soup up my tractor and have the most weaponized, awesome $1.7 million tractor with like a turbo burner and an ejection seat. With the, and then you go to jail for the rest of your I life. I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, well, I wouldn't tell anybody. I would just do it. That's worse. <laughs> I don't think it's hard to find a crashed of 35. Okay, I, thank you, Bryce. I would also repaint it so they didn't know what it was. I'd paint it blue or something. Okay. Your, your plan will get toppled by an air tag, Andrew. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing that appears to be legitimate is that the guy landed in a parachute somewhere, and that farmer had to make a very awkward call to nine one one. I would okay. I would love to. I would love to see that conversation of like ding dong. Uh, hello, are you a Mormon? No, I'm a, I'm a jet fighter. I just ejected. Okay, do you want lemonade then? You're not Mormon. You can have a drink. You want a drink? Like, let's get off the Mormon thing. Uh, can you call 911 about the plane that I just jumped out of? All right. Um, is there not like a military hotline? When we lived in Florida, um, there was a... In our neighborhood, we lived in a canal at the cul-de-sac. And if I remember correctly, 
some Russian sailors took a little boat to go through the canals and the boat broke down and they were in our neighbor's yard. You know, no they had to call and like wait for them to come pick them up. I'm pretty sure I think it was Russian sailors. But so when I walked down the house, there's a bunch of like Russian sailors there. I'm like, well, this is a weird invasion. You know, this, <laughs> yeah, like, you know. like this is the most polite yeah, Red is, Dawn ever. Yeah, this is <laughs> uh, Red Dawn meets the mouse that roared. This is a nice, yeah. Uh, yep. the, uh, my my favorite part of the story is the fact that I mean this guy this guy is a a, 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 a pilot a soldier. Um, it was rather kind of him to say, "Excuse me, Mister Farmerman, uh, do you want to call nine one one?" And he waited until finally, like, "Could you hand the phone over?" <laughs> and he's like, "Hello, I was in a class code twelve. Another F thirty five crashed in a cornfield. <laughs> right? God damn it! This happens all the time. <laughs> well, imagine, imagine how." How like how jarring it must be to like crash into someone's farm and then be like, "Hey, call nine one one." Oh, I'll call nine one one. Also, what's the address here? <laughs> like, like the just the the all the friction yeah, of having to call the town. There's it, not a there's not a postal tree. address. But if you tell well, tell them turn right at the oak tree off of <laughs> County Road Six. Is that the postal address, or is that a? Yeah. My my grandpa's address was north of town because he considered postal addresses an invasion of his privacy. So the uh, the post office just knew where he was, <laughs> and you would just send it to Joe Heaton north of town, and they'd figure out how to get it to him. <laughs> That's how it is in a lot of other countries. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Brian, what's new in space? <laughs> uh, uh, today is the day I found out about the Big Six. Do you know about the Big Six? Great football team uh, mm-hmm. symposium. I think that's that's Alabama, Mississippi, <laughs> Georgia, uh, Johns no, no, no. Hopkins. They got it, in there. It, it's a different Big Six. Oh, okay. the, the big the Big Six are six elements in order to create what we think of as conventional life, um, including hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur, and a little gem called carbon. Okay. Uh, All good solid elements. Uh, the article I read was that uh, for the first time, scientists using the James Webb telescope were able to verify that on Europa, one of our leading candidates for uh, for actual you know conventional life, uh, they they've detected carbon, which means we're we're now four out of six on 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 that planet. Now wow. uh, uh, Europa, as we've talked about before, you know has a giant ocean underneath it, has about ten miles of ice up top. So if there is any life, it's going to be you know uh, uh, be really uh, cold. We need to send a sweater uh, yeah. <laughs> or bomb it just to be safe. Yeah. Just to be safe, I think we should bomb it. One of those two, it'll get warm. But uh, so what is that? Did are there what are the repercussions of of the idea that there is carbon on there the more that this is a uh a likely target to to be habitable for by humans uh oh no 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 uh, uh, th- this is a chance for us to see uh hypothetically and we don't expect it to be intelligent life but actual alien right. life like, at, like right here in, in our independently because there's there's a 10 mile was a 10 mile ice shelf there's there's yeah. definitely a, a an impenetrable ice shelf so Theoretically, let's say we found fossil life on Mars. Actually, uh, uh, literally, Andrew Main joined me on a podcast on alienating the audience with a great Robert Zubrin, where we talked to him about this. Um, if we found life on Mars, or we found fossil life on Mars, that does not actually tell us anything about the origin of life, because enough meteorolog- or enough meteorites bounce back and forth between the Earth and Mars annually. It's like it's a surprising amount that like a tardigrade could hitch a ride on one and go to the other. So, it, 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 if if life is on one or on both. 
it, it very well originated on one. Whereas Europa, because it would be geothermal energy that would be powering the life there, it wouldn't be solar energy, it's too far out. And because there's that ice shelf there that would, would stop any debris theoretically from, from getting from Earth to there, far more likely that it would be independently generated life that, that happened separately, in which case it wouldn't have DNA like us or it'd have separate DNA. And it would be, it would be true alien life as opposed to uh, a, a Martian hitchhiker life. Mm. That's a technical term. Yeah, the, the, the challenge is going to be we, we'd have to establish how long was the entirety of the sphere intact. And considering the number of asteroid impacts, things like mm. that, whatever, it, it's, it's, it's like, I, yeah, I think that it's much more likely, as you say, but it's one of these things where we move from this. Well, if we have this, then we know. And, and we see this right now with AI. You know, what is our, what's our idea of like what would AGI or AGI was a term that came about because you know, will, will we ever have people still doubt? Well, is AI even a thing? Well, I, what is I AGI? Is. Artificial have, General Intelligence. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and then that's old news. The new news is artificial superintelligence because mm. it's oh. like you know why stop at human level? Um, but the question kind of gets into is like you know we used to think like oh well something ever passed the Turing test? GPT four could pass the Turing test easily. It very easily passed the conventional Turing test. Put somebody in one room, somebody in the other, and go back and forth, and with a little bit of coding and whatnot but then people go well that's not the real test and that's like with life you'd be like well we found it you know and even on europa like but do we know the shell was intact do we knew this people are in space right now and it's i think that we'll have like there was some japanese researchers did a study and they said something like the potential sphere that where he that life from earth could have gone to is something like a hundred thousand light years or something right something wow well, that, that wow. was so, something i learned from andrew main uh when, I, when we talked about mars way back is that the the galaxy is not a static disc it's moving at different speeds right depending on where you are in it and so uh when the the asteroid hit earth that killed off the dinosaurs and this is a technical term it splooged earth pollen out into the galaxy which is now spread around so like we could get that's to, why they call it panspermia panspermia we could get to the other side of the galaxy and find like it would be radically different because there'd be millions and millions and millions of, of evolution in between us and them but they might still have dna that we, we could be a cedar mm -hmm. cedar planet should we yeah since life started on the earth i think we've done something like 20 rotations or something around the galaxy. Really? Around the Milky Not Way? Me, wow. I got to try to pin it. Um, we get, on the 21st, we get a free PT. coffee. <laughs> That's right. Only at official locations. Can't yeah. go to that airport. Uh, although, didn't they? Okay, uh, I was talking to, to uh, Brian Dunning about a month ago, and he was telling me that they had, I think in the 50s, they took um, like uh, just ver various, um, various molecules that you would find um, in like pre-life Earth, so like the elements you're talking oh, about, you're, and then they, they, uh, they, they, they put all the ingredients right. of and life, and then they just, like, they just they electrified it, it yeah. like like in a, like a, a Victorian sci-fi novel, and yeah. it, it created proteins. Like it created the, it didn't create life, but it did create the building blocks for life, which would indicate I, that life is probably if, much if I, more if prolific. If I remember correctly, and I'm certain Andrew May knows this better than me, but uh, the way I remember it is that it it started to create um, self-replicating amino acids or something like that. I think like that's that. right, but, yeah. but like, like close enough for, for government work. Right. Uh, I, here's a hot take, right? Because that's fascinating, right? Like the, the, the impact on Earth spread biological material around the universe. Uh, again, I believe it was pollen splooged. <laughs> Sorry, that's right. right. But pronunciation's not right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what if we did it again? 
Like, not destroy all life on Earth, I mean, but like, just, like, like... Nuke Belgium just to splooge more shit into the atmosphere, hoping that we could, we could crop dust some other planets over the next billion years? Well, if there's, if there, there's, a, there's a lot of talk of, of making humans a multi-planetary species, an interstellar species... Uh, and Belgium sucks. Keep going. And, and Belgium sucks. Wouldn't, wouldn't the... One of the easiest things to do, or at least try, would be to... To shoot out biological material, so, so I try to simulate that in a in a in a different way. I mean, alongside more directed, you know, space missions and all. But that that seems like an interesting way to also spread, if not humanity, Earth uh, around the universe. I think I'm describing universal imperialism, but I think it's okay until we find another life form. Well, the, uh, uh, Arthur C. Clarke is uh, known for the quote. Um, uh, there are two possibilities: either there's other life out there, or we're alone. Both are equally horrifying, right? And I really was uncomfortable with that idea until I watched a certain episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation that was specifically intended to explain why. Why is it that every single alien is just a human with a weird forehead? And they can also interbreed? <laughs> and the answer was because there was a precursor species, a universal beginning to everything. And once I thought, oh, wait, if there is no other life anywhere else, then that means we get to be the awesome precursors. Uh, and then all of a sudden I, I calmed down and that seemed very cool. Now and I'm also, just afraid of aliens. And also, we have a bunch of life on Earth that's not humans. I mean... Uh, Belgians are humans. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> birds? Really I don't know why Bryce hates Belgians so much. It's kind of a weird thing Bryce is fixated on. Can like, you apologize? Bryce does not speak for this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. The people of Belgium. Yeah. So. Shout out to the Walloons. They're good people. But think, you know, philosophically, if all hu if just the like humans... Like Leopold, he was a jerk. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was yeah, really yeah. the awful. Fuck that guy. Yeah. If all the humans vanished off of the Earth, you suddenly have this treasure trove of alien life that would be a, a pretty... A pretty dang sparkling target for anyone else there out in the world. Oh, hold on, hold on. So, like, if let's say humans, like, I'm sorry, we all caught uh, the 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 killer syphilis, and so we know humans are going to die, and so it's like we throw all of our money, all of our economic superpowers, all work together to like grab a tiger and just fling it towards <laughs> Alpha Centauri, <laughs> take a kangaroo and just chuck it over to Syria. Nice, I like this. <laughs> We're gonna, yeah, we'll, like a self-drilling uh, uh, machine that we drop on Europa and it just drops on a dolphin. Like, go for <laughs> yes. it, dolphin. I was thinking, like, bacteria. Remember the plot of species? Yes, yes. DNA. I don't know. Let's put it together. Where how could this go wrong? That was that was a bit of a leap, uh, considering we hadn't even sequenced the DNA at that time. Uh, 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 do you remember species? Oh yes. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm, we, I'm I think of us have. That, uh, species <laughs> an made an indelibent mark, and it was also before porn was readily available. So that was that was what uh, was available. Natasha, Natasha Henstridge <laughs> yes. uh, inspired Henstridge. many a uh, Rule Thirty Four, uh, but the. Uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, the plot was that from the Arecibo, uh, back in the 1970s, when we sent out a message, you know, from SETI or whatever, they just sort of wrote in, also, we sent out uh, our entire sequence of DNA. Uh, and I'm like, 
uh, for many reasons, it was not plausible. But uh, but uh, uh, yeah, no, that that movie was. Uh, Which I, I'm happy to talk about Natasha Hensbridge naked and like somehow breeding with guys she kills and all that. But before we completely move away from the previous thing, um, the the thing that makes me sad is. Um, if we are the precursor species, either way, if we're the precursor species or we we are surrounded by other species, there's a good argument to make that it's just too damn hard to ever get to any other planet uh, outside of our solar system, and that um, that the the, the uh, I, th- I think it's called the Christmas tree effect, where like let's say a civilization like starts up, yay, and it lasts a billion years, but that might be off by a billion years with any other civilization, so the likelihood that we'll ever make contact with anybody is very, very low, which is a shame, because I would love to do that because of Natasha Henstrich. I, yeah, I hear, I, I don't, I have a lot of problems with the it's going to be too hard or it's too far sort of argument, because like within, you know, we're, you know, we're like, imagine 19th century people trying to conceive of the stuff that we're doing today. It's, it's, it's really, really hard. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really, and that's part of the problem too, is it will have these, you know, we know, we know how to propel things close to the speed of light. Now we understand that it's an energy issue it comes down to how much energy you want to do. But if you wanted to use space ray lasers, whatnot, you can send stuff, you can direct stuff, you can kind of send stuff all around. Um, like, I think that that's, in a in, imagine a technology uh, a civilization a thousand more years advanced than us and i can't conceive of what that could be because i can't think of what we will be a hundred years from now or even right. 10 but years a thousand more years yeah maybe like so a thousand more years advanced to us which is not that long if you think back to we talk about people from you know some andrew can probably name you know the royal lineage back that far but um point is is you know we even just 500 years back shakespearean times okay so our we start to think about like how complicated this is to think that for that stuff when you think about that much abundant energy sending stuff to other stars isn't going to be that hard hmm. um it's not going to be doesn't have to be in the form of like spaceship starship enterprises but it can just be sending in routers and internet traffic and ip yeah. stuff and whatever so i think you can make a pretty good and by the way the status the Earth, since life has been on Earth, has been around the galaxy 14 times wow. since life started here. Well, so, so, but, so, so I, I share your optimism, and I, I, I want— I, I'm, Well, I'm not optimistic. I'm just realistic, okay. I think. So, well, I, I'm, I want to make contact with an alien species, so I'm, I'm very much in favor of this. But, but even then, if we could get uh, uh, some kind of probe that we, we designed to go almost light speed— it's still going to take forever to get anywhere other than Alpha Centauri, right? Like no, 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 no. As a matter no. of fact, uh, have you read um, uh, uh, Project Hail Mary? I have. It's a great book. Uh, okay, so you re- remember, and there's a little bit of fudging on the energy side of things, like uh, there, there's a magic super fuel, but the main character is only in a coma for, uh, I don't know, four, four or five years, and he wakes up, and, and he's, uh, uh, he's completely jacked. He spends right. uh, uh, f- uh, 1.5 G on half of the trip and then flips around and spends 1.5 G slowing down and makes it. And, and that doesn't seem too, too crazy. And theoretically, if you built like a colony ship four years, you could do, you know, if you had like, like, like sufficient, I mean, if you were building a long haul ship and in project Hail Mary, they were having to like really do it very quickly and everything. But if you were building it over a hundred years, yeah. Okay. So, so, but when, I'd like to ever, if you get a chance, look up uh, Phil Lubin. Philip, he's a professor at University of Santa Barbara. Really cool guy. Remember Project Starshot? That was the whole idea. So long, the long 
So text story short is basically if you use phased array lasers and you hit against something like a mirror or whatever, you can actually prepare all things. In his research papers, he says 30% C. I asked him, well, why that limit? He goes, no. Nah. He says, I just put that because that was more acceptable to people. But you can push things up to 80, 90% the speed of light. So Alpha Centauri, when you, when you say years. things, Andrew, you, you don't just mean like, I mean, light. Tigers. Like, like you, you, you get tigers. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like, we, we could take a, a physical object and propel it to that speed. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Probes, space probes. Yeah, the whole, okay. whole thing wow. Project Starshot was the idea of using very small probes, whatever, and using light to propel them. So you can, you can use light to propel things to relative physics speeds. Right now, when we think about it, it, and it really is an engineering problem to sort of do as it's literally just saying, well, if we want to spend a trillion dollars to put in, you know, those space-based lasers to do this, we could do it. It is achievable with our scale right now. A hundred years from now, extremely achievable to put. And basically, I, I, I don't think about like getting into spaceships and sending people around. I think about sending routers and pro, you know probes and you know ais so, so we, and stuff we could theoretically we could design a device that we send at like 80 90 speed of light to alpha centauri that already has like a preloaded probe to come back so we could send one over there like or, orbit alpha centauri a couple they, times then shoot it back to us with the data i mean it could also broadcast it by radio signal but it would just be faster that way I yeah but the, well the caveat there is it's slowing it down is really hard and because okay. you're basically but the idea is you could event you could build a network basically like phil's got a lot of interesting thoughts on this and he's like legit he's built cosmic background microwave radiation telescopes all this sort of stuff he's been doing great research he started i really advise if you want to do a deep dive into his papers and stuff fascinating and like right now he's using doing like you know government funded for like asteroid deflection yeah there's the deep space um his lab is amazing but i'm saying it's like these things are fe feasible and if we just have to get out of like how do i build the starship enterprise modality and say how do i get information from here to there well, um, and, uh, when, when, when you strip it away down to those very very core components you can imagine a version of um, you know, we've talked about a Dyson sphere. Uh, one of one of my favorite books that uh, Andrew Main turned me on to is Pandora's Star, and it, it, it begins with a very small backyard uh, uh, astronomer who is just you know taking some photographs, and suddenly one star is just gone, and just with that moment, suddenly everybody knows a Dyson sphere is possible. It's been done, and we're not alone. Like that information traveled and so in instantly humans have to invent uh, starships and all that stuff that's the the opening moment of everything but but i could picture you know if 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 somebody you know you got type one type two type three civilizations or whatever with enough resources you could maybe instead of a dyson sphere do a set of rotating things that that uh, essentially are basically a wikipedia from a local star maybe not your star even just 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 a beacon that 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 just transmits uh, fundamental truths of the universe to uh. to everyone. We're, we're, uh, Andrew, you were alluding to like a a, a kind of like a network relay where you you'd send out yeah. uh, like a like a signal bouncer and and by doing that you could it was still you know it wouldn't be instantaneous but you could still do it much faster and and so you you could if you take a look at the website you go there look at Project Starlight so imagine imagine you have a big huge phase array system you know in our solar system that's basically using lasers to propel these things. You start sending these probes out at different places and different trajectories because the problem is just trying to slow them down. And there's ways you can actually slow it down. But basically, the idea is it hits, goes towards a star, that star changes its pattern, and then it goes into another path. And maybe eventually does some circuitous route around and comes back. But you could just basically create a network of moving nodes 
and just be gathering data and just be sending stuff and basically, you know, wire up. Oh, that's wild. So, so basically a, a physical, all but a physical conveyor belt with a very circuitous route where there's constantly actual matter from other stars coming in and going out. Um, uh, 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 to be honest, this, this is relevant because recently uh, that's part of the miracle of, of how uh, India was able to land on the South Pole, pole of the moon was by, uh, they did it very, very cheaply. Uh, they were in a race with the Russians. Russians, uh, their their craft crashed. The country of India had uh, figured out a very, very clever uh, orbital trajectory that ended up safely landing their craft on the, the south pole of the moon. Mm. That's right, because they, they were like taking longer to get there. And, and, so they were and, and it was much, very much affordable, to, like, like, yeah. like an order of magnitude, <clears throat> right. more affordable than one might expect. There's uh, a lot of really cool stuff when you start getting into orbital mechanics and looking into like all the different ways in which, you know, how do you, because we kind of, we get stuck on kind of thinking of 2D traditional sort of ways like, oh, if I want to go to Mars, I just aim my spaceship at Mars and go there. Well, it's not the way it works because you've got to aim to where it's going to be and also take advantage of transfer orbits and stuff. And it gets really complex and fascinating because you think of like, it's almost like navigating you know, there, you know, there there are places in which you can get to like super low energy transfer orbits between here and other places. You know, there's also like crazy sort of like interplay between us and like the our solar system and you say, let's say Andromeda, uh, excuse me, um, Alpha Centauri, where one begins and what ends isn't as clean as we might think. Even in that far out distant space, there may be objects and stuff that are captured by one and then transferred to another. Mm. And, you know, we know that we have the Kuiper belt and the Oort cloud that extend way beyond. We know that there could be rogue planets. There may be some estimates put there might be just as many rogue planets as there are actual planets orbiting solar systems. And that gives you this idea of like to go from here to there, you don't even have to go to the nearest star. You might find waypoints in between here and there. And then, so I, I guess my point is, I think that if you look at how humans moved throughout the Pacific, and sometimes there are land bridges, sometimes there are canoes, but they just spread from island to island to place to place to place to place. You know, the only place on the planet where, you know, humans didn't end up living in long, any sustainable part was Antarctica. And that changed now. Mm. Yeah, the, um, uh, in general, I've learned, uh, don't bet against humans. They're very clever. Yeah. Uh, humans uh, and uh, specifically prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> They're very, very clever, and they take a long time to think about things and come up with a solution. Um, no, I'm going to short humanity, the uh, thing that you can totally do. <laughs> I, I'm all on hamsters now. <laughs> Screw humans. I'm on Team Hamster. We're going to the hamster moon. Ham moon, 2024. Uh, yeah, the... Uh, Moving the, over my hamster. The, <laughs> I, love, I love that you just... <laughs> noted yourself and then cursed yourself and then clicked a button to mark that you have to bleep the cursing that you did it yourself. <laughs> One hand doesn't know what the other is doing sometimes. No, uh, but uh, uh, am, am, am I right in understanding that when, you know, they talk about slingshot around the moon or whatever, that essentially what they're doing is just by having the right trajectory, Similar to, like, if you want to uh, uh, pivot a satellite, you just have a flywheel inside that spins around and it sort of causes, with the uh, centripetal force, it, it to look somewhere else. Um, basically, you're, air quotes, stealing momentum and energy from the orbital spin of the various planets. Is, is, is that right? Like, like, ever so slightly, indetectably, 
the planet is now moving slightly slower, but now your craft is moving faster. Mm. Is that how that works? Yeah, I mean, I think of a figure skater pulling their arms in or putting their arms out. And, okay. and you you can use an elliptical sort of orbit to sort of capture more energy as you go to a further point. You go slower at one point, further out at another one. Um, mm. You know, I mean, it, it's it's it really kind of like trying to wrap, you know, you know, your head around a lot of the, the mechanics of that is you realize, man, there's a term why we call people rocket scientists. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, uh, noting that none of us claim to have the ability to see a thousand years, a hundred years, or maybe even 10 years into the future. I'm, I'm curious, Brian and Andrew, is there anything that you see on the horizon in terms of our technological capacity? It could be space, it could be AI, it could be bio, biotech or something like that. That's going to be really big that we will probably see in the next 20, 30 years that you're excited about. Oh, yeah. Uh, AGI before the end of the decade, like we're going to have intelligence far exceeding human capabilities by the end of the decade. I'm reasonably confident in that. And it's not we forget aliens. Like what happens when you meet a super intelligent AI system that can kind of solve all the big problems we have? I think by the end of the decade, we're going to be there. And, and real, um, real quick, a a a that, AGI, I'm sorry. Can you tell me? Quickly, what is the difference well, between they, that they, and AI? Is it just a supercomputer? AGI means artificial general intelligence. And it's a term that's used to sort of describe an AI that can kind of do anything a person can do, but more efficiently. And so instead of, you know, if you say, you know, I could basically have it process all my legal documents and it cost me 25 cents or something. Right. You know, it's not... You could, you know, we can, in theory, build massive, huge data centers that take up the size of a state and solve these problems. But the idea is to reduce it to the point that it makes economic sense to start using these things for it. If you want to have a cancer research, right. you're, I was you're about to say have, the, you know, the, the the medical side of this seems staggering because, like, m most people that are working on cancer are specialists. They're not generalists, so they're they're going to be in a specific niche. But you could feed like all available data that we've got into this computer and the computer, you go, well, actually there's, I mean, it would never say this, but there's this weird correlation between uh, pecan allergies, uh, uh, cancer, and like lobster genes. And like, if you oh, yeah. combine the three and like, we, it would take us forever and, to figure this out. And we've, re we've reported on that uh, in the past. I don't remember the exact details of it because it was probably over a year ago now, but Google, Google had a thing where if you took a photo of the whites of your eyes, they could, they would machine learning it and could tell if you had diabetes or could tell if you had yeah there, uh, there, there's there, some stuff like that wow yeah yeah and there, but also like on the on the on the thing you just mentioned andrew like 10 years ago i went to a conference and they showed a there were some researchers talked about how they looked at the drosophilia the fruit fly genome and they're looking at ones that were longer lived and trying to locate where and why and they found a part on the genome that for the longer lived ones, it was associated with, with reversitrol, which is one of these drugs or one of these chemicals that's associated with sort of longevity, right. maybe, maybe not. But it was a very interesting, they used an AI to look at the DNA and that was 10 plus years ago. So these things are getting much, much better. I have a lot of kind of anecdotal experience of looking at the capabilities systems and the, the, these things are going to get way more complicated. You've got GPT-4 right now, Google's coming out with Gemini. This is going to continue going as these systems get more and more in life sciences. So AGI by the end of the day, and ASI, like artificial superintelligence, like systems are just way, way, way smarter than we can think of. Fusion. So, you know, I went to a presentation a week ago by the CEO of Helion, which is a company that is planning to have a net positive fusion reactor online next year. What? Will uh, they succeed? They've, they've uh, got a contract right now with Microsoft to provide energy by 2028. Now, 
the thing is, is having Fusion. Wait, wait, wait I'm, let's I'm sorry. Say, let's my, Microsoft's already given them money with the expectation that there will be an online Fusion power plant by 2028. Did I understand that correctly? They made uh-huh. a contract. I don't know this. I don't know the, the particular. It might be a, a funding plus whatever sort of deal. But Microsoft uh-huh. has said, hey, you know, we'll take a bet on or like this. or like an and, a, 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 a exclusive option or something. So here's the funny thing is that uh, you you could have like next year they could turn on Polaris and they they're doing a really neat thing, too, because the way it is, they have these plasma waves that go in and collide and produce energy. They're capturing the energy via, via electrical energy. They're not converting it into steam and doing this. It seems like I think that's a much more a more elegant way. But anyhow, um, who knows? But I, I think that. Uh, and I'll give you a really good argument for why we're probably much closer to fusion than we realize, even though people keep saying for 20 years, and I'll tell you why we are always 20 years away in a second. But if that's the case, the downside, though, is still our electrical grid still sucks. And they could they could be you know building these plants and whatever, but the point at which the average person on Earth is using fusion-powered energy could still be decades away just because of the way things it takes to adopt stuff. But part of their plan, though, is how to manufacture these things at scale. Like they're designing these reactors to be able to basically put on tractor trailer trucks, you know, send t- 10 tractor trailer trucks to a place and be able to assemble it, have to make sure they could go under bridges and stuff. There's a lot of thought in there, but people have said, well, we're always 20 years away. And it's like, true. And for the last 60 plus years, the Department of Energy in the US would not allow anybody any other agency to spend more than $20 million on a fusion project, even the Navy, because the DOE said this was our purview. And the DOE was convinced that the Takamak, the ring directors, was the way to go forward. And so they basically killed it. And even Robert Bussard, who was original one of the Takamak developers, the Bussard Ramjet, the guy who created that, you know, he had a Navy project and the, and the Navy that were they were going to give more funding. The DOE says, nope, this is our purview. Go summon the rest. So we haven't had competing ideas. We haven't had stuff. Europe's been doing using the Takamak reactor too. And for the first time and just starting a few years ago, we've actually had a ton of private capital. Now we've got hundreds of billions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars going into private efforts. So we get to try different approaches. And as long as we are going to use the Takamak as the only way to do it, if it's a dead end, like, yeah, we're always going to be 20 years away. I'm convinced. I think we have a very high probability before the end of the decade of some commercial capacity for fusion. Wow. Do, do you think in our lifetime, whether or not you believe in our lifetime, we'll see AGI-powered, uh, 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 self-motivated robots out of Earth going about the business of, please make us nice homes all throughout our solar system? Why well, well, I, I don't see, I think as the technology advances, the 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 AI and the the design technology, the the bits will follow and we get better at moving bits around, or excuse me, moving the atoms around as we get better at moving atoms and reorganizing them. Because that's one of the biggest limitations right now is that AI has been exciting because it's a lot easier to sort of figure out, well, I get a bunch of servers, I try a bunch of experience, I deploy something. When it comes to robots, you see Boston Dynamics, which can build these really cool looking machines. But as far as I've observed, they're not capable of doing mass production. Right. And so each one that they sell is pretty much built like the prototype. And that means it's hard for them to scale. But they've got really, really good instincts about machine learning and stuff and whatnot. I think uh, I actually had a really great conversation with a guy who was a student of the founder of Boston Dynamics, who years ago he was studying robotics and then he wanted to also integrate art and whatnot. And his professors like that's really that's silly, whatnot. 
And then years later, you know, the, the guy is heading Boston Dynamics, the students in the class. He says, I got to tell you, I was wrong. I told him this was silly. And now you look at what does Boston Dynamics do to tell people look how great our robots are? Show them dancing. Um, but I think that if we can improve, and I think AI systems can help us. Imagine we made a really good 3D printer, like a really, really good, fast, precision 3D printer. You know, then you can just try a bunch of experiments and keep going. So, yeah. Absolutely. The answer is yes. Uh, Brian, see this. Brian, I'm aware that there is a, a group that's working on uh, a type of automated go-kart that you would release on the moon that would uh, scoop up the regolith and poop out bricks. So that um, so that when we want to, we can use those bricks for exactly. whatever we want. Because we, 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 would, we would need them for radiation shielding and everything else. But basically, we would have like like a ready supply of, like we build our own caves or something, right? You just release it up there. It's solar powered. And it would, it would just, yeah, it would be like a whole brick quarry available for us. We've, uh, uh, I, on, on this program, talked a lot about the lava tubes on the moon. Uh, uh, I would imagine that driving around and exploring those would be very useful. Cool. I was actually advising somebody working with a group working on one of the regular things about a way that they could use AI systems right now to dramatically increase their ability, their throughput on when they're trying to look at samples and stuff. And it, it illustrates like, like, I don't know if you know Andrew, but like, I just, I uh, resigned from OpenAI left two weeks ago um, because I want to create a consultancy that helps people like just get sped up on AI because I think there's so many useful tools right now, not things that we will build, but things that are there right now that can massively increase the output and capability. Uh, congratulations. Uh, would you let me Thank know you. if and when you were selling stock in your company? Because I have a great deal of faith in Andrew Maine and would love to get it underground for. Oh, man. Uh, I appreciate your confidence. Um, when I'm crawled up in bed at night, can't sleep, filled with anxiety about what I'm trying to do or what's next, that will be some solace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You call me and I'm like, hey, buddy, I got $4,000 with your name (laughs) (laughs) that I can invest in your company. We're going to get a half a server, buddy. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Hey, yeah, Andrew, it's an AI thing. Yeah, I put dot A on. It. You know, I, like that, that, that is one of those things where I think I'm, I'm with everybody else in the country where I, I'm you're you're obviously you've, you've been in the thick of it. Right. So you're much further ahead than everybody else. But like me being like, I, like, I don't know, like like um, top 30 percent of tech users in the country. Uh, I, I haven't fully grasped like chat GPT, the implications of it yet. Like I'm still mm-hmm. using it for fairly mm-hmm. quotidian purposes. So uh, I'll use it for maybe like a little bit of research. And, and I'll, I'll and like Mid Journey, I've started using, which is absolutely amazing. But I, but I'm looking at this going, okay. One, I think there's going to be a whole profession of just prompt engineers. I think that's going to be a thing of people that just know how to speak very well to uh, Chat GPT, Mid Journey, and so on and so forth. That that's going to be a, maybe not a whole job, but it'll be a skill set in the same way that like social media is a skill set. Uh, and then I'm I like again, I've not fully grasped what all is happening with this technology, and I'm like I. I would love, like, if, if there if there were consultancy firms, if there were, like, tutorials or something, I would love to go, oh, I bet there's a bunch of stuff I'm doing right now that I no longer need to do. Uh, I, could, I can, I can yeah, automate I- that, shoot my editor, uh, <laughs> have a robot do his job, whatever. <laughs> Bryce, I, I think this uh, is I abhorrent, think- and I would never participate <laughs> in such a thing. I was just going to let it walk by. I was just going to let it be unspoken. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that, I, I you know, I... As far as I know, as the first person ever hired as a prompt engineer. So I was the original prompt engineer to OpenAI. And, wow. Um, I remember somebody had a uh, wrote all the examples, most not all, but most examples like GPT-3 and the prompt examples and all that stuff. And then when we have new models, you know, I've got to be, you know, people to go play with it. And that's the GPT-4 paper. I'm credited for some novel model capabilities. 
but uh I, you know, I, the, the funny thing is, like, I remember somebody said, because we came out with the new models, the Instruct models. These are the ones that were actually trained to make it easier to prompt. And one of the people at OpenAI said to me, said, so it looks like your job's done. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and I'm, like, I'm like, thanks, you know, I'll collect my stuff. But I'm like, I'm like, I know what you're saying, but it's not like early days in 2020 prompting really was how do I get a language model that wasn't that was just trained a wild model trained on the wild world of internet text or whatever how do I get it to do reliable things and that meant like tricks like your this is not telling it people get very literal like you're writing a blog post like no like start off with a header start off like actually because it, it never encountered that conversation or somebody told somebody else you're a blog post and you're this right <laughs> you know you're the smartest coder in the world it's like literally it's like you know uh you know you'd say like uh best rated answer for you know uh stack overflow on this question and then it give you a great answer like you learn all these sort of tricks then we do it a thing where basically we trained it on prompt examples and outputs and really good examples and trained it how to understand what people want and it got better but the need, as you said, is, is a skill set. You're right. That's what's going. Everybody is going to want to learn how to talk to machines. Everybody's going to need to know how to talk to them, which means knowing their capabilities. You know, and I see my favorite thing is, and it's sort of petty of me, is like dunking on people and they go, oh, well, GPT-4 can't do this. Like one is like a professor wrote a thing like can't, still can't do Wordle. I'm like, aha, you don't know how tokenization works. Let me show you. And now it does Wordle. But next generation of the system won't need me to come in and figure out some clever strategy to do it, yeah. you know, but I'll look for some new problem. People say, Oh, it can't do. Well, and, and this is, is kind of in the news. Uh, uh, open, uh, open AI, uh, announced Dolly three, uh, yesterday or the other, the day before. And the idea being that, uh, you, you can access Dolly within the chat GPT program, ah. but then it will, it will do work to to zhuzh up your prompts. So the idea being like, uh, like they show this example of like a hedgehog with, with sunflowers and it kind of remembers as you talk through, like come up with the idea, make stickers, make uh, this and that. Um, and I think that speaks to what, what you're talking about, Andrew, in the need to know how to speak to these machines, right? You need to be able to speak whatever language it expects, even even if that means there's now an intermediary layer where ChatGPT or Dolly 3 is doing some amount of extra sp sprinkles. Yeah, when you when you dig into how the Dolly 3 thing works, now I can talk about it, um, <laughs> is in ChatGPT, when you write a prompt, it'll actually try to write and improve the prompt for you. But the model itself is, so you're getting, you're getting a GPT-4 that kind of knows how to do it. But also the model's great because the model can do text. You know, it can yeah. do other stuff. It's got it's got much better variable binding. Um, really, I've got a lot of examples. I'm excited to be able to share now because it's just been sitting on those things. It was painful because it's just the quality is so much so good now. Yeah, the uh, uh, I've, I've I've found that uh so an almost socratic dialogue has been a lot of fun um uh, i spent about an hour this morning asking if it could come up with metaphors to explain countably infinite numbers versus uncountably infinite numbers did you tell it to limit to one sentence metaphors uh no no it it did a pretty good bulleted list i i said i i, I what i did is i told it to let uh help me write a children's book to explain the difference between the two and then and um, any and, metaphor longer than a sentence is not a good metaphor uh yeah no it was about a sentence 
per thing. Awesome. Like a like like a countably infinite number is picture a train. It, this is my idea. This is Chad GPT's. Is picture a train and it's got one car, two cars, three cars, four. That is, and it goes forever and ever and ever. That's countably infinite. Now let's talk about the difference with, you know, and, we, and then after that, uh, you know, kind of. What's, what's an uncountable infinite number? Oh, uh, 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 all real numbers. Like uh, if you were to say one, I was like, what's between zero and one? You'd say 0.5, and I'd say, what's uh, be, what's between those? And then it's uncountably infinite is the got difference. Got it. Okay. Uh, can, you, can you say uh, that in a one sentence metaphor? Uh, I, I will if you'd let me get back to talking to Chatty G. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We're so, keeping so, Brian, let's talk about this. So you spent an hour today talking to ChatGPT. Yes. Uh, well, actually, what I was talking to was the sum total of knowledge of humans uh, that came before me. Uh, but I did so uh, through the lens of a large language model that was able to reflect back the ideas that had come before. Well, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is like, how fascinating is it that and I do the same thing? I, I'm doing, I'm not judging. Trust okay. Me. Okay. All right. All I thought I was being, you know, I felt, oh, I felt a little bit judged. There was a, just pregnant, now. There was a positive <laughs> for as, sure. as an equity holder in open AI, I'm very <laughs> glad to hear this, sir. Um, oh, uh, what, what, what I'm getting at is that, Look at how fast things have changed where people can be like, literally, it used to be you'd tell Alexa a joke and go back and forth and get bored in two minutes, right? Yeah. Here, like, yeah, my I have several windows open and I have a constantly ongoing back and forth with the system. As I solve problems, I work with it. I was trying to think of some example of how, to me, when I want to code, <clears throat> Uh, I'm building the thing to make it easier to make tutorials. Like to your point, uh, Heaton, about you know how trying to help people. One of the things I want to do is I want to make a lot of tutorials, but the problem is taking it out of your head and putting it into some presentable format that looks good and whatever. So I've been building the thing to do it, and I've been using you know like I do everything. I use ChatGP to do it, and I'm like, it's if I tried to hire a developer to build this for me, it would not come across, come together this quickly. It just wouldn't happen. And, right. and Brian working in the world of language and words and stuff it's fascinating to me to think that like this is so for some of us it's so casual and normal now well and and uh uh and, i i think part of and, it is your base assumptions where it's like i assume somebody smarter than me knows more about countable numbers infinite versus uncountable or whatever and i bet a bunch of people have come up with metaphors and i bet that that because i'm I, again i'm just asking the ghosts of everyone who ever came before me. Uh, yes, there's probably some very good, simple metaphors out there. Well, uh, remember too that the, the model does a thing we call generalization, which it can learn about A and it can learn about C and it can figure out B and things that haven't existed before. And that's one of the things I think that sort of gets lost is that like it's got that all of that kind of compressed human knowledge in there, but also it's picked up patterns and stuff that we didn't we're not aware of and. You know, that's the cool part is you could say, oh, I need to explain infinity, but I need to do it using an ice cream store as my example. And it will do that. It will give you examples of that that never existed before. And that's what I love is I want to do this, but I'm going to give you this plus this other thing that I don't think. And that's what we know is the essence of creativity. It's just taking two or more unrelated things and combining them into something new. And it does that. Uh, so uh, noting that I would like to invest in your company, and I'm not trying to take any business away from my company, 
Uh, I'm curious, for, for those of us that have played around with ChatGPT but are not waist deep in it like you, is there a primer or tutorial that you would recommend that would help us kind of grasp the tools that we can use it for? Um, I wish I had a good, easy thing to refer you to. Um, I think a good thing is, is do Google or YouTube for a thing you might be interested in doing. Like I, there was a, I picked up an ebook somebody wrote on how to use it. The problem is, is there's a lot of books online about how to use chat GPT. And you could tell the author wrote like 20% and then had chat GPT write right. the rest of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then it's like, cause he's like, here's a hundred examples. Like, yeah, uh, I know that trick, <laughs> you know, like, you know, early days up, but man, Andrew, you came up with so many examples. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> you know, what we make here, right. <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, there might be, I would just take a look at YouTube, look for some stuff that's highly rated, whatever, some stuff. I think there's a lot, I think there is a lot of good quality content out. There's a lot of hype content out there. The one prompt that will thousand X your chat GPT thing. If, yeah. if, if I was going to just give one tip to everyone is, uh, ask for more every single time. Uh, I think you'll be very impressed with, with how chat GPT like, all right, keep going, explain more. And then like, it, it really does seem to react to that pretty well. If you want to use it, let's say creative writing and people go, Oh, I want to be like, yeah, make it, don't let it create for you. Let it be your writing partner asking you questions. Like, and you can say, Hey, I want to write a story. Ask me questions about the story, my characters, et cetera, whatever. And I will give you the details, but in, in, and I've got a prompt. I'll try to jig it up. I can share with you, which is basically like this, like 10 point prompt that you end up with an outline at the end with character development, all this other stuff, but you supply that. Unless you don't want to, you can say, hey, you take over for me and do this. But it's like sitting there with a really good writing teacher that says, okay, what's it about? What's the conflict? What's going on here? Yeah. And I think that's going to be a big shift as we see more and more uh, different different usages of of AI. And like I do a lot of video stuff. There's not a lot of AI things I can use at the moment. Um, but I, the, the thing that will, we, it will be interesting to see in the long term is if this leads to people, um, being more creative or not, right? Um, because you, you, you go to chat GPT and either you have an idea and you want it to help you, or you're short of an idea and you're waiting for, you want it to spur something in you. Um, I've found in the little bits that I've used chat GPT, you do, it is very helpful to know what you want, what you want out of it. Um, and I think there's also a lot of exploratory use of AI right now where people are just trying it out, seeing what happens. Um, but I, I, I wonder what, what that'll overall do. I mean, I, I don't think necessarily we'll be dumbed down, but it really helps knowing what you want. And that is not something that is easy for, for creative or non-creative people to, to, to do. Uh, sub- subjectively, I, or I guess objectively, not everyone has experience being a manager and not everybody has worked with a writer's room, but subjectively talking to chat GPT feels an awful lot like that. Like just having a writer's room where you're like, eh, let's talk about this. Explain it. Like, no, 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 no. More like this. Uh, no, that's dumb. Don't, oh, wait, don't so ever can, say that I again. Automate the writers I work with on sketch comedy. This uh, is even better than shooting my editor. Uh, Eventually I'll be able you to. You already can do that right now. And you should hire a certain new company that I know about <laughs> to help explain to you how to do it. But I've, I, I have found that you, you have to have that. You have to have, the insp- you have to have something in, in yourself for it because a lot of the times what it generates is fine. It's fine. 
right? But not yeah, but, but, great. But, but, you know, especially if you're talking about sketch comedy or literature, like it'll be great for a first pass. But when you when you read you read a lot a lot of it, you're like, this is very generic and not interesting in a way that I would hope something I was in. Well, at least with with comedy that that I mean that is part of the process, right? So I just I just did a a, a writers room brainstorming session in New York uh, two weekends back. Uh, where we were working on sketch comedy, and everybody was instructed bring five ideas. They don't have to be good ideas; they just have to be ideas. And um, you like you throw it out there, and you're like, "This is a horrible idea," and it probably is a horrible idea. But everybody goes like, "You know what? It would be kind of funny if we did this." Mm. Uh, and then somebody else goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What if it was a puppet?" <laughs> Always getting to the puppet bit, mm-hmm. uh, and like so, I can see ChatGPT doing that kind of thing where it's uh, it's it's just giving you grist for the mill, and you're like, "That's a dumb idea, robot," but. If we took that dumb idea and turned it into a puppet, then yeah. 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 I I took uh <laughs> when I was playing around GPT four and early it was frustrating because having this before, you know, working on trying to find examples and stuff before the things announced, one was like, you know, the like the six word science fiction stories and stuff, having it do that and knock it out of the park and being so tempted to send that in mm. to places and do that. But my favorite example was I would give it articles from today's news and say, can you write like, can you write like uh, jokes for its talk show host? And I had like three out of five of the ones that it came up with. I watched the next night be told by talk show. It was amazing. Was that's how, amazing. How it was. Do, you, do you think that's because the AI was, was that good? Yes. Or, or do you think that the, the teams have figured out they can use AI and that they were, they were literally getting, no, the they weren't jokes. using, they weren't using, I was the only one using GPT-4 okay. for right. this. Okay. I was the only one that had access to this. It's mm-hmm. just that they're not that imaginative. Well, so I, I've been and saying I'd for say a while that. that that's going to happen because I, I, I think that like I, I don't think that you're going to get. I think creative professions are probably safer than anything else when it comes to this stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. But with with like joke writing, um, I could I could totally see a late night room. They're just being like um, the the guy whose job it is to look at the 400 jokes that ChatGPT wrote based on headlines that day and going, okay, these 15 are pretty good, right? Like you're not going to get rid of all of the the comedians, but it would it would be very helpful if you're like. Rishi Sunak fell down some stairs, right? 50 jokes about that. And you're like, yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, and like, you know, giving you a, a jumping thing, giving you a, um, like some raw material you can, you can sculpt from there. Mm-hmm. Oh, and people are using it now. They're just not, there are people on the picket lines who are using this now, but they're not telling people that they're using it. That's been a big thing. It's just the, the stealth adoption among, cause I know when I talk to people in the creative industries and you know, you have had a lot of interactions with people, very high levels and different levels and stuff like there. The number ones are very enthusiastic about it, but not publicly enthusiastic about it because of the backlash. And and then there are a lot of people in writers' rooms who've been using this stuff. Uh, uh, let me see. I'm trying like write some late night. Just grabbed a thing from a news site about a politician, the mayor of Dallas, switching to Republican. Write some late night jokes about this. I would like to hear so, these. Yeah, it, like do this. I said, write some late night jokes about this. Uh, uh, here we go. Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson announced he's leaving the Democratic Party for the GOP. That's right. In a move that shocked everyone, he revealed that he reads the Wall Street Journal. Uh, when asked why he switched to the Republican Party, Mayor Johnson said, American cities need Republicans, which New York City replied, wait, are you offering a trade? Uh, These are yeah. like, I can think of at least one late night show that this is better than. Yeah. <laughs> Only one. Um, let's see. Dallas Mayor Johnson said his op-ed, as America cities go, so goes America. And as any Dallas Cowboys fan will tell you, so goes the first half of the season, so goes the second, maybe next year. Uh, that might just be, I don't know, sports. That one doesn't do much I for know. Me. <laughs> well, I guess all of our pick is ChatGPT. 
But yeah, so anyway, yeah, you can see like these are like it gives you a bunch of them. Like you could grab a couple from there. But like I had, you know, some of the stuff that just was public fears limits. So I was like, wow, this was like, yeah. And like, uh, you know, and their comedians are like, ah, I got nothing to worry about. Like, I don't know. Let's look at a transcript from a writer's room. And then you tell me that everything that pops out of everybody's mouth well, this, is gold. The, you know, you know so I, I'm going to channel uh, the, the the man that I'm sitting in for this week, Justin Robert Young, who who's brought up, I think, accurately that uh, writers don't have anything to worry about, but hacks do. I think if you're a hack, you probably do have a lot to worry about. If, if you were if you were recycling trite ideas on a regular basis and you're, you're doing uh, conventional conventional pedestrian plots or boilerplate jokes, yeah, you probably, yeah, mm -hmm. you get automated, but all right, I'm not... To be blunt, that's sympathetic. Like I like I, well, I want you to try harder. Be, be be smarter. Be 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 more creative. Here's the problem, Andrew. Um I don't know I'm about a hack you. Fuck. No, 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 no. I'm saying that that's my my fear is that you know, I I you know, we all deal with imposter syndrome and creatives and like I had somebody on Twitter who was really vitriolic when I was talking about Jolly Three and He's like, I'm a writer. It's good about writers out of work. And it's like, well, I, I don't, you know, I'm a writer that's primarily made my living as a writer. Like, I, I don't think I should be a protected class. Yeah. You know, I think if Kubotu whatever has some new robot that can manufacture something and I'm buying products with it, then yeah, I, I don't think I'm more entitled to my profession than anybody else is. But other people, you know, but also I do feel like I, I think I think we're going to have a creative golden age. I think it's going to be an amazing time to be. A I, I, I'm with you. Like, like, so, so I, I do a like on my sci-fi program. I have a segment where my my friend Nick and I do sketches where we go to the planet Vulcan and we do stand-up comedy. We tell what it's like doing comedy on Vulcan. So it's a very sci-fi jokey type thing. Um, uh, we go to Quonos or we'll, you know, whatever. Um, uh, so I, I just, I recently put these up on YouTube and I went on mid journey to make the, the image for it. Cause I just, I would put the image the up thumbnail. on the podcast and then just have a little, little wave filer. And, uh, one of my friends was like, you know, you really should have hired an artist. And I was like to do 42 unique images for something. That's just a, a fun project. That's not monet. I, I wasn't going to do that. There's no, I'm not going to pay a, uh, like a thousand dollars to do these thumbnails on what is essentially just a hobbyist playlist on my YouTube. So I didn't take a job from anybody. It was just that I, I have yeah. now art available to me that otherwise would not exist in this world. And, and if there was somebody you could pay 20 bucks a month to, to just handle that, automate that for you, just choose some prompt. Like there is, there is actually an entire new class of creative that's possible where it's like, okay, because I say like, yeah, a, a middle school can't afford an on-staff artist to create bespoke images and lesson plans because it takes too much time. But they could frick afford an on-staff generative AI person to go in there and handle the needs of a lot of people. There's just, it's just the scale. The idea that like for a thing that's disposable that I want to get paid an outsized amount for, then yeah, we choose not to do it. Like podcast art, et cetera. But, you know, the, the, the thumbnail, by the way, the YouTube thumbnails, you know, um, like Mr. Beast says, they spend like 60% of their time or 70% of their time on the thumbnail as they do on the production of the video. Like thumbnails is an entire, like there's, you look up the people who are now the, the, the trained thumbnail experts who know what to do. And like, there is now a huge demand for people. It's not the actual making the art. It's knowing what the F to put in there. Yeah. The, uh, right, the new meta is closed mouth. It used to be open mouth, but now it's closed mouth. Yep. Yep. 
the 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 paradigm shift that I experienced was realizing that uh, the job of the writer uh, this can't be original to me, but 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 I had the thought the job of the writer is not to write. The job of the writer is to be the first reader. You know, Stephen King dreams every single night, and he dreams awful nonsense stories. But he is the first reader, and he knows which parts are garbage and which parts deserve to be developed and eventually become something. Uh, likewise, GPT hallucinates it on command and brings wildly uh, disparate ideas together. But it's the job of you, the author to be the first reader. Do you want to hear a ChatGPT generated Vulcan comedy routine joke? I yes. would love to hear this. Yes. It's a baseline. Uh, I recently attempted to watch human comedy. They seem to find humor in knock knock jokes. Let me attempt one. Knock knock. Who's there? Who's there? Logical. <laughs> Logical. Logical who? 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 Logically, you should have known the punchline. <laughs> this uh, this sounds wow. That's pretty good. Also, very much what I would expect Vulcan humor to be. <laughs> uh, I, I don't I, think I'm getting I, my two drinks worth I, out of this. I, I, uh, I, say, I say we wrap this one up. I'm gonna need a drink put a bow it. on it. <laughs> Finally, to those who say Vulcans have no sense of humor, I'd like to point out that we invented intergalactic chess. It's a game where if you make a wrong move, you might lose a planet. If that's not comedic brilliance, I don't know what is. <laughs> That is Thank literally what I think the carrot top of Vulcan would say. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, uh, brilliant. Uh, uh, Andrew, uh, uh, is there anything you'd like to promote? Yeah, um, you know what? G given the the audience that you've assembled and the topics you have, I will point you all to my sci-fi podcast, Alienating the Audience, which uh, both Andrew Main and Brian Brush would have been on multiple times. And um, if you if you're if you just want the funny stuff like like uh, Andrew was bringing up with the Vulcan jokes, you can go to um, mightyheaton.com slash vagabonding and it will take you to all of those sketches that I do with my friend Nick on various worlds and you can get yourself some sci fi comedy. I'm very curious to decide to have this dude that you should maybe if this is some chat GPT prompting for you uh, Vulcan comedy routine in the style of Jerry Seinfeld. I, this sounds amazing. This, I, I, this is, is with this humans? is what I'm doing with the rest of my day now. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, any picks? Anybody else? Uh, no, I think we all picked ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ChatGPT for the win. Uh, and there's other tools out there, but uh, you know, it's my friends built that, so I'm very proud of it. But uh, big fan. So uh, you got twice the Andrew, ladies and gentlemen, for the show. Um, plus your Bryce, press your Brian, and really you just came out ahead as opposed to any other formula we could have had. So it's been weird. Thank you. The Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program.